Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. So this uh, next month, September, is uh, traditionally our prayer emphasis month. And so I wanted to get a little jump start on things this year and begin a short series on prayer that kind of leads us right into our prayer emphasis month. And uh, I wanted to begin this morning by asking you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but just let it roll around in there a little bit. If I told you that you were going to have an opportunity to speak face-to-face with Jesus and that you would be able to make one request of Him, what would it be? What would it be? Face-to-face. New job, new house, more money, better insurance plan. What, What would it be that you'd ask Him? You know, the disciples had this opportunity at one point. In Luke 11, we read that all of the disciples, they came to Jesus and they had this one same request. They said, Lord, teach us to make money. Is that what they said? No, I was just seeing if you're paying attention. Lord, teach us to pray. Out of all the things that they could have asked for, their request was, Lord, teach us to pray. And it, it reminded me of that quote that I, I gave you a couple of weeks past by the, the great, great preacher and evangelist D.L. Moody, who said, I would much rather learn to pray than to preach. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. So you, you, you wonder why out of all the things that the disciples could have asked for, why they would pick that one particular request. I think, personally, it was probably because they had witnessed firsthand as they had walked with Jesus for now uh, three years. They had witnessed firsthand the results of prayer in his life. They saw him pray, and then they saw incredible things happen. And I think it's interesting that the disciples had seen Jesus preach, you know, the greatest sermons ever preach. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him raise people from the dead. But never once did they come to him with a request saying, Lord, uh, teach us to preach like you do and perform miracles and heal the sick and raise the dead. They never asked. Instead, it was just simply, Lord, teach us how to pray. They recognized that prayer was the key to his life. And they wanted that for themselves. There's nothing more vital to us as Christians as prayer. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about prayer and how prayer works, how to pray, when to pray. And so just briefly, I want to start with a few things that prayer should not be in our life. You know, some people think that prayer is like this big magic wand that we start waving around and then, you know, we magically get what we want kind of treating God like a genie in the bottle. You know, whenever, whenever they need something, they just rub the bottle. Other people like to think that prayer is like a, a big first aid kit. You know, for them, prayer is kind of an act of desperation. It's usually born out of emergency, and that's the, that's the fire extinguisher to put out whatever fire happens to be going on in their life at that time. It's kind of a last resort. There was a church having a lot of inner strife, a lot of disunity in the church. And uh, the pastor called a special meeting of the board, and he said, men, he said, I think all we can do at this point is pray. 
And the head deacon just shook his head and said, I can't believe it's come to this. That's kind of how we operate in our lives sometimes, right? I mean, we just try everything we can. And then finally, you know, we realize, well, I guess I'm just going to have to pray. There's so many people that try to extinguish every possible course of action before they decide really what we need to do or what I need to do is just pray about this thing. And for others, sometimes prayers like this tug of war with God. They, you know, they just keep begging and pleading, begging and pleading, thinking eventually God's going to just get tired of hearing me and he'll just give me what I'm asking for. Now that one, you really got to be careful for because sometimes he'll do just that. Who has ever prayed for something? You got it, and then you realized, mm, this, this, I think I got this to learn a lesson. Just to learn a lesson in life. Sometimes God does that. But I think one of the worst misconceptions about prayer is that for a lot of people, it just becomes this religious duty. Something you gotta do. You know, a lot of times the motivating factor is just guilt. I got something I gotta do. Guess I better pray. It just becomes kind of a, a chore. People get to thinking it might well, if I don't pray once in a while, I'm gonna get on God's bad list. And so that kind of mindset, it just it leads to prayer becoming just this real uh, meaningless ritual in our life. Doesn't really amount to anything. You memorize a few spiritual cliches, a few words, and you just say them over and over. And at that point, prayer very quickly becomes something that we endure rather than something that we enjoy. And maybe we've all experienced a little of that in our life from time to time. But if prayer is simply a spiritual duty for us in our life, then we've missed the whole point of prayer. I, I want to discuss this morning the four purposes of prayer. In John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is sharing some of his last words with his disciples before his crucifixion. And he explains repeatedly in these chapters, explaining to them that he's going to die this physical death, and then he's going to be resurrected, but he'll be returning to heaven, not sticking around here. He's trying to let them know, I'm not going to be here physically anymore but I'm going to be here spiritually. And I'm going to place my spirit in your lives, the Holy Spirit, and, and we'll still be able to talk. You'll still be able to communicate with me, even though I'm not physically going to be standing here. You can talk to me through prayer. And so these are the four purposes of prayer in our lives. The first one is this. Prayer is an act of dedication. Prayer is an opportunity for us to express uh, not only our devotion to God, but our dependence on God. It's an act of dedicating ourselves, saying, God, I need you. It's an act of dedication. I think that one of the biggest problems with prayer is that too often we don't feel all that dependent on God. We think we can handle everything ourselves. And then when we've tried everything we know how to try and nothing has worked, that's when we get to that point, well, maybe I ought to try praying. I've tried everything I know how to do. No one in here has ever been guilty of that, right? Well, you are a bunch of liars this morning. We've all done that from time to time. 
We've tried everything we know to do, and then we realize, well, you know, maybe I just need to pray about this thing. Ever since Adam and Eve, us humans, we have just been overestimating our abilities. Started with them, and we still continue to do it a lot of times. So one of our big problems is that we don't like to admit to God that we need help. We want to be self-sufficient. Here's something you need to jot down. As long as you think you're self-sufficient, prayer is not going to mean much to you. It's not going to mean much, and it's not going to do much. As long as you think you are so self-sufficient. Because prayer is what? It's an act of dedication. God, I'm just admitting that I can't do this on my own. I need your help every day. Not just when I'm in trouble, not just when there's a problem, not just when I need finances. Lord, I, I need you in every aspect of my life. I'm dependent. I'm making myself dependent on you. So we're saying, God, I admit I need your help. It's a declaration of dependence to God. And our act of prayer proves, proves to him that we're admitting our need for him in our life. John 15, 7. Let me read this. A lot of times, this is everyone's favorite verse. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. How many of you, that's, man, that's one of your favorite verses in the Bible. I can just ask for whatever I want and he's going to give it to me. He has to. It's right here in black and white. You know, it is one of the great promises of God, but there are so many people that think this verse is like a big blank check from heaven and we just fill it out however we want. He has to give it to us. But actually, this verse is telling us that the key to having our prayers answered is that we have to be abiding in Him. We have to be living our life for Him. Our desires have to be uh, circled around His will for our life, not just whatever we want. So our lives need to be this complete, this example of complete dependence on God and that our sole interest is God's will for our life. Because when that's the case, our prayers are all about what's going to draw me closer to God, not what's going to push me further away. But only when you have that understanding is it going to eliminate all the selfish prayers that we tend to offer up sometimes. Lord, Lord, just make me a millionaire. Lord, give me this, give me that. Lord, let these numbers be the winning ticket right here. Oh, Lord, you know, you, you, Lord, I'm just, I'm just bathing this lottery ticket in prayer, Lord. Let it be the one. I'll give you all the glory for all my riches, Lord Jesus. Man, how many people have prayed that prayer? <laughs> Did it, has it worked yet? No, no, it doesn't really work, does it? Uh, shoot, I think anybody who's ever bought a lottery ticket that even knows of the existence of God has probably prayed that prayer. Lord, let it be the winner. Well, that, these are the kinds of selfish prayers that are they're certainly not prayers of dedication. They're prayers to benefit us, right? Prayer is an act of dedication. 
It's never supposed to be an act of gimme, gimme, gimme. That's the difference. So it's an act of dedication. Secondly, prayer is an act of communication. How many of you have noticed that a lot of your problems in life, you came about because of bad communication? Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, or whether it's within your marriages. Anybody within your marriages ever experienced bad communication that led to some trouble? Five of you. Yeah, like I believe that. We've all had times where we didn't quite communicate. You know, what we got here is failure to communicate. We've all felt that pain, right? Whether it's with our spouse, with our kids, people at work. A lot of the problems uh, come from that. Now, this much right here is certain. You're, you'll never understand your spouse, speaking of our marriages in particular here, you're never going to understand your spouse unless you communicate with them. We have to communicate. That sounds great, but this is often a big problem for us men. I'm speaking generally here because it's not always. Some men are just great at communicating with their spouses. They love it. Honey, can we just sit down and talk about our day? You know, but I'm just saying that's, that's the exception, not the rule, okay? I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just going to speak generally here. Most of us guys, we, oh, we do not like to talk about deep, meaningful stuff. It just makes us nervous, man. What? You want to talk about meaningful stuff? Uh, I got to go mow the grass. <laughs> now we can talk about sports, business, politics. It, if, it, if we have to talk about deep relational stuff, we just get nervous and itchy and we can break out in hives, all sorts of things. I was saying in the first service, Janet and I have been married last month. We've been married 44 years. Five, we were five years old when we got married. We just, you know, we knew we were ready, and we just went ahead and did it. 44 years, and we've grown up in church, and so we've been to, down through the years, we've been to several, you know, Christian marriage seminars. How many of you have been to a marriage seminar? Let me see your hand if you just loved going to the marriage seminar. It's mostly ladies. Richard's an exception. Most of us guys, when the wife said, let's go to this marriage seminar, we go, oh, well, let's just go bowling. Let's... Anything but the marriage seminar. Women love marriage seminars. It scares us to death. Because we know at some point that speaker is going to instruct all of us married couples. Now I want you to look deep into your spouse's eyes. And I want you to explain to them why they are the center of your universe. Well, uh, you know, I... I appreciate you doing the laundry and stuff, huh? And, and uh, like it when you cook me bacon and eggs for breakfast. And I just want you to know that. We hate that sort of thing, man. Women love it, but for men, that, that's just the sort of thing that'll cause us to fake a heart attack, you know. A, you know, and, uh, go ahead and do that. And then we go, oh! 
No, I think it's a big one, guy. I better just sit here and be very quiet and calm. I'll get back with you. But we're, not, we're never going to understand each other unless we communicate here and within our marriages or at work, wherever we're at. But the same is absolutely true with our relationship with God. If we don't communicate Him, we're never going to understand Him. We're not going to understand His kingdom. It's never going to make sense to us. That is the state of the world that we live in today. You know, 50 years ago, people, even people that weren't living their life for God, they had knowledge and a history of God. They could define sin. Most of them could even define salvation, even though they weren't living for the Lord. Just 50 years ago, today, that is not true. A lot of times, today evangelism is, is quite a bit tougher because people have zero history of God. It's been taken out of the schools. They're not taught that uh, in any public environment. They don't know about God. They can't define sin. They have no idea what salvation is. Have I been saved? Saved from what? That's the most common answer. But our, our relationship with Him centers on being able to communicate with Him or we're never going to understand the kingdom of God. You know, about 50 years ago, there was this huge international incident. Most people refer to it as the Cuban Missile Crisis. How many of us old folks remember the Cuban Missile Crisis? The funny thing was, it had very, had very little to do with Cuba, actually. The real crisis was between the United States and Russia, specifically President Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev. And I mean, most people don't realize how we were within a breath of nuclear war, World War III. It came that close. And it was all because of this breakdown in communication. And one of the benefits that came out of the missile crisis was it did establish this direct line of communication between the White House and the Kremlin. You know, I don't know if the phones are actually red, like you see, but, you know, a hotline. The president could pick up, could speak to uh, Khrushchev or whoever happened to be in charge. A direct line of communication. My point, I guess, is as vital as in communication is on an international level, it's so much more important in our Christian life, in this Christian journey. But you cannot fully communicate with someone. This is what modern psychologists say. This is how they phrase it. You can't fully communicate with someone unless you have an understanding of relationship with them. I'll say it again. Can't communicate with someone unless you have an understanding of relationship with them. Now that's true. If you get on an elevator with someone you don't know from Adam, you can strike up a little conversation. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about, you know, boy, this thing's moving slow or moving fast or whatever you want to say, but you're not going to learn anything about that person because you don't really have, you're talking to them, but you don't, under, you don't have an understanding of relationship with them, right? You're just yapping. You have to know where they stand and they have to know where you stand on issues in life to have any kind of relevant communication. And it raises the question, what exactly is our personal relationship with Jesus? Is it just somebody we know, we've heard of, or do we, do we know where he stands and he knows exactly where we stand? And man, we're just can't wait to communicate together. 
John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is telling us here that we have the complete freedom to ask God for things in our life because we're friends. You know, if you have a need in your life, you don't go walk up to some person, you know, some stranger and share it with him and say, hey, is there anything you can do for me? You go to a friend, right? Someone that you think might be able to offer you some help. It says God doesn't treat us like servants or slaves. He always treats us like friends. When there's something that we need, we have this open invitation to approach God and ask him. There's no middleman. We go directly to God. Straight to the top. I know a lot of you in here, your, your roots are in Catholicism. My son-in-law, who pastors an Assembly of God church in Germany, was Catholic for a large portion of his life. I know a little bit about Catholicism. And one of the sad things in Catholicism is there's always a middleman. You need forgiveness of sin? Go to confession. Talk to the priest. He'll decide what you need to do to get yourself out of this mess. I heard a story of a guy who was half Jewish and half Catholic. His mother was Jewish, his father was Catholic, and it created a, you know, some confusion in his life. How he finally reconciled it was he would go to confession, but he would take his lawyer with him. And forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I think you know Mr. Dershowitz. It's just a joke. Just a joke. We don't have a middleman. Aren't you thankful for that? Man, when we have something we need to talk to God about, we have an open, direct line of communication. Man, we just dial him up and bang, he's there, ready and waiting to listen to us, and not only listen to us, to answer us if we'll take the time to listen. Sometimes the problem is we do all the talking and we hang up. You ever do that to somebody? Have any of you ever got on the phone, you have a one-way count, you talk and talk and talk to somebody, then you just hang up before they have a chance to say anything? Nobody does that, right? Unless they're talking to God. Then it happens all the time. Isn't that strange? Lord, here's a list of all the things I need. Blah, 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 blah. Thank you. Good night. Amen. Hang on. It's crazy, isn't it? We get to go straight to the top. We don't get wrapped up in the bureaucratic nonsense. And one point I wanted to make is, you know, today, bureaucrats, we hear that word, it's become kind of a, a dirty word, bureaucratic process, because really they just want to take away our rights, not give us rights. Isn't that kind of how you feel? Not too long ago, I pulled out into traffic. I get stuck behind this garbage truck. I mean, so close I can smell it. And I'm right there, and I read this sign on the back of this garbage truck. It says, do not follow closely by order of city ordinance number, blah, 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 blah. And I just shook my head. I said, well, there you go. Just another one of life's simple pleasures stripped away by a meddling bureaucracy right there. Can't follow close. Because didn't you used to love that when your dad would say, hey, kids, come on, we're going to go follow the garbage truck. You jump in the uh, you know, station wagon. <sighs> <sighs> this is great, Dad. Glad we got to do this. Well, you can't do it anymore. 
That right has been taken away from you. How does that make you feel? I think one of the big problems we have in our prayer time is sometimes I think we find it hard to believe that God is so completely interested in just little old me, little old you. You know, we feel so minute. It's hard to wrap our mind around the fact that the creator of all the universe and everything in it could possibly be concerned of what's going on in our minuscule life. You know, it could be concerned whether we're going to get our house payment made this month, whether concerned that our car is broke down, concerned uh, whether the electricity is about to get shut off. This morning I, I told a story years ago, Brent and Stacy were little tiny. I don't even know if Brent remembers this. We lived in a little house on Peoria Avenue in Peoria, Illinois, a house which Brent's very proud of and would like to take you there and show it to you, wouldn't you, Brent? Actually, I say that jokingly because a few years we went back to Peoria. We went down this street and we said, see, Brent, there's the house where we lived when you were just a little tiny guy. And he said, oh, my goodness, don't ever tell anyone that we ever lived in this house. Just shut up about it. <laughs> but we got there. It was late one night, and we went into the house. You know, I went to turn on the lights, and it's nothing. You do it a few times to make sure, you know, there's not a bad switch, right? We always do that. Maybe it'll come on here eventually. But it never does, does it? And so we're, I'm trying to figure out what in the world is going on. I go outside, you know, the neighbor's lights are on. Why are their lights on and mine aren't? What is, what is happening here? And I, we're trying to figure out what's going on. I got a flashlight. And finally, Janet says, well, you paid the electric bill, right? Um, I look through this stack of bills on the on the desk at the flashlight and I pull one out of the bottom and oh you you mean this one no doesn't look like I paid that one kind of missed that one and from that day forward ever since that day Jan Janet has been completely in charge of paying all of our bills and our electricity has never been shut off since that day she just does such an incredible job and uh, I was not to be trusted with that job because it left us in the dark, basically, literally. So, if we, can just, if we can just fully realize how much God loves us, prayer is not going to be a problem for us. If you find that prayer is, has become this very mundane ritual in your life, you just feel it's something you're, you're obligated to do, it usually means you're not really fully understanding how much he loves you and how interested he is in every little facet of your life because he truly is. He told us, you know, we are friends. We're friends. So prayer is an act of dedication. It's how we express our dependence on God. It's an act of communication. It is the umbilical cord between us and God. That's what prayer is. Now, thirdly, prayer is an act of supplication. There's a word most of you use every day, right? Supplication. 
But those of, you, those of us that have grown up in church, we've heard that word a hundred times, right? Supplication. It's a funny sounding word if you say it enough times. Supplication. You know what it means? It just simply means to request something, to ask for something. How many of you parents have children that love to supplicate? Man, where do they get that? From us, right? Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything with your prayers and your supplications, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The fact of the matter is that prayer is God's chosen method of meeting our needs in life. The Bible teaches us there's some things He's only going to do if we pray for it, if we ask. But some people cop an attitude and say, well, you know, God knows exactly what I need. I shouldn't have to go asking for it. That is not true. There are a lot of things that God wants us to go before him and ask for. One, it shows, it demonstrates our dependence on him. That we're not placing ourselves in charge, that we're looking to him for help. You know, New Testament Christians were, uh, they were probably just so happy and joyful, enthusiastic about life uh, that it was just so contagious. You know, if you'd ask a New Testament Christian, hey man, what's going on? They'd have probably said, oh, it's just business as usual, miracle after miracle. But today you ask a Christian the same thing, you are much more apt to get a very different answer. They mean, oh, you know, business as usual, just not much going on. And I've got a hunch that a lot of Christians don't have that same fervor and zeal as early Christians because they just haven't asked for it. James says, you have not because what? Because you haven't asked for it. Over 20 times in just the New Testament, we're told to ask, to seek, to knock, keep on asking. Charles Spurgeon, listen to what he said. He had a great quote. Charles Spurgeon said, God never shuts his storehouse until you shut your mouth. You quit asking him, he quits doing. You have to ask. Prayer is an act of supplication, of making requests to God. What are you lacking in your life right now simply because you just haven't asked God for it? The whole thing is, we just need to be careful what we ask for, right? And here's, here's a good train of thought to follow. When you go before God making your request, ask yourself, is this really going to make me stronger and closer in Christ if I get this? Or is it just going to make me more distant from Him? Or maybe just make me a lazy Christian where I'm all talk but no action. He does it all, I just kind of sit around. If we are true, truly striving to live for God, the things that we request of God, they're not going to be the selfish things. If we're really trying to live for Him, we're not going to be saying, Lord, God, here's my request. I just need a ton of money. Usually you're not going to get that answered because God knows if he gave you the ton of money, you would absolutely ruin yourself. Absolutely kill yourself with it. Our wants and our desires, they have to be God-motivated, not self-motivated. That's the difference. Another good reason that God wants us to ask for things uh, as our Father is because it literally gives Him joy when He meets our needs. Key word there, needs. Luke 11, 11 through 13, 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven give, will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I mean, if we as imperfect parents, how many of you are parents here? Let me see your hand. You're a parent. Okay, put your hand down. Leak him up. Keep him up. Parents, put your hands up. Put your hand down if you are a perfect parent. Oh my goodness, do we ever need to talk. Most of you are honest. Some of you put, yeah, yeah, I'm a perfect parent. Never made a mistake. We believe that. <laughs> if we as imperfect parents know how to give good gifts, he's saying, how much more does God, who is perfect in every way, know how to give great perfect gifts for us? God delights in answering our prayers. So, little review. Prayer is an act of dedication, communication, supplication. Oh, you guys are, man, you guys are paying attention this morning. This makes preaching a whole lot more fun. You just think somebody's paying attention. Lastly, prayer is an act of cooperation. Now, this ought to be the exciting thing about prayer. God has sovereignly chosen in His plan for us that we can cooperate in his plan by praying and then just observing the great work that he does. Prayer is his program for us. You know, we churches, we've got lots of programs, right? We've got women's programs, men's programs, youth programs, children's programs. We've got all kinds of programs. And there's nothing wrong as long as they're all pointing us toward Christ. But my point is that God basically has one program for us. Communicate with him through prayer. That's God's program for our life. Prayer is God's modus operandi in cooperating with him. You know, when we pray for other people, we, we are operating in cooperation with God, right? We're, we're teaming up with God to accomplish his work in this world. Now, I want to say this. There's one, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is also just one of the hardest to fully comprehend and really believe. And that shocks some of you because, you know, I'm the pastor. I shouldn't be having a problem with this. I'm just saying there's this verse that I absolutely believe it, but it's just, it's a hard one, okay? It's a hard one to really wrap your mind around. And it says this, John 14, 12. Verily, very truly, I, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, I'm just being transparent with you. Am I the only one here this morning that you have a tough time coming to grips with the thought, we can do greater things than Jesus ever did? Yeah, that's a little tough, isn't it? I mean, we've read the stories that he did some pretty incredible things. I can do greater things than that. It just kind of makes you want to look at God and say, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? How can we do something greater than Jesus? So I have a tough time understanding, but right there it is. Anyone who has faith in me will not only do what I've been doing, but you'll do even greater things than me. So here's how I've come to have kind of an understanding of this almost unbelievable promise from Jesus. You have to read the very next verse. 
John 14, 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So how is it possible to do something greater than Jesus? Well, it's only possible through prayer. This verse tells us that when we pray and ask things in Jesus' name, God does them to bring glory to the name of His Son, Jesus. God doesn't bring glory to us individually. You know, if I say, hey, God, Doug Roberts here. Listen, I've got something I'd like for you to do for me. I really wish you'd do it because I'm going to tell you, it's really going to bring a lot of glory to me because I'm, I'm asking for it in my name. That prayer is going to do absolutely nothing. Nothing. And yet sometimes, this is another sermon, but sometimes we're kind of guilty of praying prayers like that. But that'll be for another day. God hears our prayers when they're in the name of Jesus. When our prayers, the specific uh, request is, of our prayer is to glorify God and Jesus through it. Those prayers will always be answered. A prayer that will enable God to be glorified in the Son, man, that's a prayer that's going to be, man, it's going to be answered fast. So when we pray in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God, we're not play, praying for something, for some selfish thing for ourselves. We're praying that by granting this request, God is going to be glorified. And the other part of that promise that is a little easier to grasp, this verse tells us that God uh, answers the prayers of those who believe in Him. Now that doesn't mean we simply believe that He exists. A lot of people believe He exists that don't serve Him, namely Satan. Satan believes He exists more than a lot of people walking around. I mean, he, he completely, 100% believes in the existence of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Don't even have to convince him. He believes it. But it means that if we're not completely giving our lives over to God, then God has no binding contract to do anything for us. Something to think about. You know, that, that verse that says, oh, he'll just give us anything we ask for. Absolutely not. We have, unless we're living our life specifically for him, he has no binding contract to do anything for us. So if you feel like your prayers aren't getting answered, that's the first thing to check right there. Are you really, truly living your life for him? Or have you just gone before God in crisis mode? Now here is one example of how our prayers can result in something greater than even Jesus did. When Jesus was performing miracles on earth, oftentimes it involved healing the sick. That's a great, I mean, people that couldn't walk just stood up and walked. That's incredible, isn't it? And to go beyond that, there were people who were dead that he's just commanded to rise up, and man, they just stood up. Boy, if you could do that, you'd be something, wouldn't you? Boy, if we could just raise the dead, man, that, that, wow, that'd be so incredible. But I mean, for a lot of folks, if they just prayed for some dead guy to stand up and then the guy stood up, they'd probably fall over of a heart attack themselves. <laughs> well, I didn't think it was really going to happen. When it did, it like scared me to death. That's how we are sometimes, right? But he did all of these incredible, incredible things throughout the course of his ministry. Today, here's what we're able to do. 
We are able to share the gospel of Christ with people, pray with them a salvation prayer, and when they accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we have then become a part of, not, of seeing them not just be healed from some physical ailment, but we see them uh, being delivered from an eternity in hell and they're given everlasting life and we had a part of it. That's a greater miracle than even raising someone back to the dead in this physical life. That's a greater thing. Much greater miracle than just being healed of some earthly physical disease and then we get to rejoice in their salvation because it brought glory to God. The bottom line is this, if the intent of our prayers is to bring glory to God rather than ourselves, God is very interested in answering that prayer. If you pray in the name of Jesus, God makes impossible situations possible. This morning, we've had this little uh, introduction to this very important topic of prayer and why we pray. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to pray specifically over things, how to pray for other people, how to pray for impossible situations, what to do when it seems like your prayers aren't being heard or answered. We're going to talk about these things, but prayer is a part of cooperating with God's plan. Prayer is the most important thing that any of us as Christians can do. And we want Calvary Temple, we want CT Church to be a place of prayer a house of prayer filled with people who are cooperating with God in this plan of prayer and communication. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210 657 3578.